Welcome to the District Podcast, Outside the District Edition, where we cover topics important to folks living outside of the big cities. I'm Teresa Mall, Assistant Editor at Spectator World, and today we're joined by Ethan Davis, who makes a living as an organic farmer here in central Pennsylvania. We're going to discuss the joys and challenges of this sometimes thankless job. So Ethan, why don't you get started telling us about your background as a farmer at not common these days in a high-tech world to find someone who actually makes a living doing agriculture. So it's fascinating and I want to know all about it. So take it away. Well, thanks. So I didn't grow up on a farm, uh, but my grandfather and I had a really nice uh, herb garden and garden together. And I think um, if I had to go back to like where it started, the genesis of things, I would say it was probably with him. And, you know, I... I did some landscaping and, and uh, worked at different garden centers. And then uh, right after graduating from college, I uh, walked from Mexico to Canada. And along the way, I'd um, run out of money and I'd need to make some money so for groceries and whatnot. So I'd hitchhike out to a farm and then I'd just lay irrigation pipe or pick fruit or whatever it needed to be. And um, then I'd put back out to the trail walk till I ran out of food and money (laughs) and repeat the process. And that was kind of my first quote, like real farming experience on like professional commercial farms. Um, And uh, then I worked on a couple more farms and I guess it was just one farm really in South America for a bit. Uh, And then I moved to Vermont and uh, well, I thought, you know, I kind of thought I knew what I was doing. I'd worked on a bunch of different farms and, I started my own farm and I I knew I had a lot to learn, but I thought I knew enough to kind of learn on the fly, you know, and to to learn iteratively. And I was wrong. I fell hard (laughs) and I just, there was no doubt about it. Um, You know, uh, the farm wasn't making any money. And so, um, you know, or not enough, I should say. And uh, so I took a few years off, but it really kind of always irked me that I tried something and I, wasn't successful at it. it just always always irked me and I, I really like working outside I like working with my hands I like being my own boss I enjoy the lifestyle and um, I eventually came to Penn State to do some schooling and um, while I was there I thought oh I was living in Phillipsburg at the time and I thought you know I just don't know if this professional lifestyle is for me Um, so I just started working, but I knew I still had a lot of kinks to work out. I knew I had to do improve as a farmer, as a business person. And so then I just started working kind of like a pilot scale where we had, um, you know, about two thirds of an acre in production and some greenhouses. So it was, you know, micro farm scale, but big enough that we had a small CSA and we were selling to restaurants and I could kind of scope out different growing methods and um, markets and, um, you know, build a business plan. And then we the, the real game changer for us was we uh, applied for a farm service agency loan, an FSA loan. And then we were able to buy enough land in Woodward that we could start farming full time at a full scale. And so that's what we've been doing. This is our our third year at our new place. And. It's been a ride. <laughs> it really has. But um, we're very blessed. We're very fortunate. Um, I did have the good fortune of specializing, uh, opening a farm that specialized in restaurants just as the pandemic struck. So that was fun. 
Um, but we're on the other side and, um, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. Uh, I really, I do. It's, it's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's rewarding work. Uh, you know, and, and, but I, I really wouldn't choose anything else. And I can attest to that, um, you have taken something that was irking you and really made a success out of it because I have tasted your produce and <laughs> it seems like you've mastered you. it as far as I can tell. Thank you. Well, I still have to learn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you describe? I'm sure this is not an easy answer or maybe it's multifaceted and you can give several examples, but kind of a day in the life of a farmer. I know it varies greatly from season to season, but we were going to podcast a little bit earlier. But if you could give an example of today, you know, things come up and you have to deal with them. There's no such thing as delaying till tomorrow or putting it off. You have to take care of things. Yeah. So there's a couple clocks and um, the most important one is the plants. Um, they don't take a day off. There's no day off for plants. Um, so, you know, we, uh, I was putting in a new greenhouse and I had, uh, asked the electricity, you know, call before you dig people to come out and to scope out the field to make sure there are no buried lines. And they told me there are no buried lines and I guess they missed one. And I hit it with the excavator and um, then I didn't have any water or electricity to my well house or my greenhouses. So instead of, you know, putting plants out in the field or working on the greenhouse, I was crawling around in a trench fixing my electric lines. So you kind of get to wear different hats. You know, some days you're a quasi electrician. Some days you're, you know, doing sales and marketing and running a business like any other business person. Some days you're... Um, you know, digging in the dirt. It's just, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and there's, it really is. And, um, there's a seasonality effect to it. So we're right in the middle of our real busy season. And then in the winter time, I like to take a step back and kind of do more like farm planning, strategic planning, evaluation of markets, catch up on all our bookkeeping, um, that type of stuff. And, Spring is a wild ride and July, it kind of slows a little bit and then it actually picks up again in the fall. It gets pretty busy back again in the fall because you still have your main markets, but then you're planting out all your greenhouses for the winter. Um, and so you, there's a, you know, certain weekly tasks that have to get done. You got to look for uh, pests and disease and just see if there's any sort of issue, a little fire that you have to put out. You've got to do all your sales and your marketing and your deliveries. You've got to do your harvesting. You've got to do your weeding. And these are just weekly chores. You just have to do these things every week because if you take a week off, your farm gets swallowed by weeds or you miss sales or, you know, something is neglected and you have a, a disease outbreak or whatever it might be or an insect outbreak. So you just kind of um, walk through and do as much prevention as possible. I should say we're a, a small scale organic vegetable farm. Um, we're certified organic and we're just about to get um, certified regenerative organic, which is a step higher than traditional organic. And um, while we're on the subject of certifications, we are also uh, harmonized gap certified. So that means we've passed the highest food safety standards in the country. So we could sell to any grocery store or any anywhere in the country. We're not certified to export, but we're so small scale that wouldn't, <laughs> that's not what we're shooting to do anyway. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's a seasonal effect, there's a daily effect, and then there's the, the random fires that come up too. So you just never know what to expect. 
I guess it's hard to plan. <laughs> can you, speaking of planning, can you walk me through kind of the economic market of farming recently? I'm sure that changes from year to year too, as different things become trendy. We've seen a rise in people really valuing, I feel like, or being willing to spend more on luxury goods like organic produce or locally grown items, especially during the pandemic. You know, we and during the supply chain crisis, you you don't you can't get things so. But that that said, that we are also facing inflation and all sorts of economic problems where people might not have the money to spend on some of these higher end products. So you have have it locked in with restaurants, but um, you know what are some of the challenges as far as that goes? I'm sure that keeps you up at night, and as well as the weather and line breaks and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we we are organic, and I know most people associate that with. A higher cost, but um, at least where I sell, people aren't willing to pay more for organic. So my costs are higher, but um, I don't get an organic premium. I grow organically because I believe in it. I think it's important. Um, but you know, I have to compete with Cisco to sell to restaurants. I have to compete with grocery stores to sell to CSA members. Um, you know, there is some people are willing to to you know. Um, you know, bend their schedules around a CSA pickup site or something like that. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Um, but but I, I couldn't help but smile when you described me as a producer of luxury goods. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, that's not certainly not how I feel. I don't feel very luxurious. Um, but um, so uh, in terms of like, you know, but, but I think that's also our niche too. Um, it, or not our niche, but... Um, maybe just our way of doing things, we're not well to do. And so we want to be able to grow and supply food to, to everyone. So, you know, I've, I've had people tell me I should raise my prices and I try to not do that um, because, you know, we give the, for example, with our CSA boxes, we give the share my wife and I would want to receive in terms of generosity. We know that most CSAs do like six to eight items that you just, whatever the farm has is what you get. Well, we do 10 to 12 and you get to pick what goes in your box. And so, you know, if, if you, and we, if the 10 to 12 items we give out for a $25 value is as good or better than what you'll do at the grocery store. And the way I personally see it is if people are willing to pay up front in the winter time, when, you know, we have no revenue coming in or very limited revenue coming in, it's just greenhouse space. There's no field space to harvest from. If they're willing to pay up front in the winter to help us with our cash flow and our propane bills and our seed bills, then I want to give them a thank you, a discount, because they should get one. They're buying in bulk up front. There should be some sort of give and take with that. So um, generally speaking, though, um, the local food scene is really the last couple of years, it's just been really dynamic. And so you before and a lot of it was driven by a coronavirus um, before the virus breakout um, CSAs were declining um, they or maybe it reached maturity they were flatlining um, you had a lot of other food services like blue apron and other you know alternatives in the the new digital world that weren't available in like say the 90s or 80s or something like really the 90s and early 2000s um, so you had more competition for you know, food uh, and restaurants were still doing quite well for a lot of local farmers. 
because there people do want to buy pre local that, you know, there's not a premium necessarily, but they want to support local. So restaurants, you know, want to buy local and they want to buy local because it's fresher. And I know when I speak with chefs, they'll say, Hey, I really liked your salad mix. What was that one variety that looked like this? And I'll say, Oh, that was deer tongue or green oak leaf or whatever it is. And could I have more of that in that mix? And I'll say, sure. So then you kind of get into some semi-custom blending and it's really, really fresh. So it stays better in their fridge for longer. Um, and so they can create this relationship with their grower um, so that they're able to have this really fresh product that's kind of customized to what they want to do. And they love the being able to do dinner specials with it with just the random whatevers to create their, you know, uh, food with. Uh, but that kind of tanked obviously with COVID. And so that entire industry went way down. Um, along with COVID, all the in-person farmer markets were literally canceled. So as a small local farmer, you would sell, typically you would sell to farmer's market, restaurants, and CSA. Because if you're small like me, um, you're not going to sell wholesale at, you know, really large, you know, $2 a pound commercial wholesale prices. You're trying to, to survive. You've got to sell retail. You've got to sell retail prices rather than wholesale. So if you just lost two out of three of your markets, you've lost restaurants, you've lost in-person farmers uh, markets, that basically leaves CSA. The other thing that you saw happen was online farmers markets started to really take off. So we sell at um, center markets online. And uh, that's where people can basically, basically it's a, a lot of the farmers that did the in-person farmer markets created these online markets. And um, that more or less uh, replaced the farmer's market. So we sell at this point in time, we sell to restaurants, we have a small CSA, and we also um, uh, do the online farmer's market. Um, we'd like to do an in-person market, but to be honest with you, I don't have the time. You know, I mean, like I really don't have the time. So um, at a macro level, that's what you've seen. The only other thing I would add to that is another, um, you know, kind of like big picture driver is that with COVID, you, a lot of your listeners might have noticed that a lot of their staple items weren't available at the grocery store. So um, like for some reason, at least in my, the grocery store around me, good luck finding tortilla wraps. You know, like if you wanted to make a, a wrap or something like that, it just seemed like very random what would be there or not there. And I think that kind of showed the influence of this really globalized food system that we have um, and some of its fragility as well. And so I think um, local food systems were actually, you know, there was some turbulence with restaurants and whatnot, but there's also a renaissance too. So a lot of people all of a sudden wanted CSAs. So CSAs sales went, you know, really spiked and did really, really well. Um, and then you had new markets emerge, like the online farmers market. So really the local food system emerged and was quite resilient to the virus. But the international globalized food system um, showed that it, it, you know, did not have as much resiliency. And so you did see shortages of certain items in stores. And I think that's also one reason why we have so much inflation. Right? Many reasons. But I think that's also one reason why there's inflation, too. Right. That's a perfect segue into my next question was, as we see uh, more and more inflation happening, we've seen the price of fertilizer skyrocket, you know, the 
Ukrainian conflict, the breadbasket of Europe, um, that's going to affect everything. We've already seen the prices in the grocery stores go sky high and they don't show any signs of slowing down. So obviously having, if you have a local farmer there, you can kind of guarantee that at least at the local level, you'll be able to get your basic produce supplies. But regardless of um, guarding against food shortages in the near future, what is the long-term advantage and the societal benefits of supporting your local farmer? What does the agricultural, a robust agricultural community do for everybody? And I know that you've talked about the fun social scene that happens at farmer's markets where people become friends and they'll hang out for hours and just, why is it so beautiful to have a local farmer and (laughs) local produce other than being delicious, of course? Well, I I, I mean, I think, if I follow right, a lot of your listeners are are in cities that are looking to kind of hear what it's like to have a rural, you know, pastoral experience. If I follow that right, and um, even if you're in a, a town, say like State College, where where Penn State is, you know, it's got more of a city feel to it than a small town feel to it. And um, you know, I think I think one of the things CSAs do is it gets people it fills a void there's a void a sense of place void where if you're surrounded by concrete and buildings and you're inside all time all the time um, you, you you know you literally get a, a vitamin d deficiency because you don't get enough sunlight you know um and uh you know you're you're in a very very different world than one that's surrounded with green space and trees and fields and flowers and streams. And I think people need that. I I really do. I think on a personal, like contentment, you know, just sense of place, um, you're displaced if you don't see that. So I think there's a certain hunger for that and um, a certain need for that. And so, you know, some people go hiking or biking or hunting or whatever it is that they do um, to help fill that. And I think CSAs do that. Um, I, I, another thing that local food does is, you know, a, a lot of times you, you're, you're, especially if you're in an urban environment, you're used to kind of just going about your tasks and seeing lots of people, but not knowing them. So you're isolated in a sea of people. It's, it's a really ironic experience. Um, but in a small town, you say hi to everybody, or at least a lot of the people, because you, you know them and it's not. It's not odd to be said, hi, even if you don't know someone. And so I think with a a CSA, um, I mean, it literally stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And so um, basically, you know, there's a a strong sense of community as well, a shared sense where, um, hold on, sweetheart. Sorry, my little boy is trying to burst in. Um, (laughs) And so there's a strong sense of community. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about community, right? Like, welcome to my family. And, um, you know, there's a strong sense of community where people all of a sudden, you know, have a common identity, a sense of purpose and place and everything like that. And so, you know, we hold on farm events so that people can come and meet other people or they'll hang out at the drop off delivery. So on like a very personal level, I think um, we're going to a farmer's market and just having like that real experience of seeing fresh food and stalls and vendors everywhere. On a very personal level, I think that's something that um, you don't get in a grocery store. You just don't. And um, I think that's something important. The other thing that it does too, on like a, you know, slightly 
not, I wouldn't say macro level, but like a, a, a less personal level is um, most of my supplies I buy locally. Um, you know, I was fixing my electrics. So I, I ran to my local hardware store to get the supplies. Um, we try and support as many local suppliers as possible. Um, you know, all my greenhouses are bought locally. And so, you know, it's kind of, instead of you're sending your money far away to support someone far off, and then they take their money and spend it in their town, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away or in, you know, literally other countries, you know, your money stays within your community. And so then that helps revitalize everything. So now all of a sudden, you know, it helps, you know, if the money goes to your local food and then that farmer is in turn buying local supplies, then, you know, it keep, just enriches the community um, in terms of economic well-being as opposed to maybe like social well-being like we were just talking about. And at least in my case, the way we farm is, you know, we don't use any pesticides or herbicides or fungicides. There's no biocides. You know, my the farm is set up so that my little kids can run through it and eat anything and I don't have to worry about anything. It's It's good. So you know, by knowing your farmer and how they farm and how they produce your food, their food, you get that, you know, peace of mind. Um, we also, in our particular case, we're certified organic and regenerative organic. And nobody, we don't have to do this. But for example, you know, this is part of like what makes it fun for me. I'm trying to figure out how to farm so that the trout in my stream running through the farm they're going to be there for us to keep fishing. And so that means paying attention to what we put on the fields and sedimentation and coarse woody debris and kind of managing the streams. We watch our soils, we test our soils. And so right now my, my latest little project that to me is just a lot of fun is I track all my energy use, all my greenhouse gas emissions, and then I monitor my soil carbon and, you know, a couple other things I'd be happy to talk about. But the idea is I want to grow carbon negative food so that as you're growing your food, you're actually restoring not just your local environment with your fish and your trout and creating habitat connections to the state forest across the, the way. Um, we're doing our own little part to kind of um, act locally and think globally, so to speak, you know, to use that phrase. Um, but we're basically working to, um, we're working locally to achieve, um, you know, some pretty ambitious needed goals. And um, so I think, at least in our case, you know, um, we're able to, you know, kind of enrich our, our local community and at the same time, um, be a small farm, but recognizing we're part of this bigger picture. And for me, I really enjoy figuring out how much carbon I can sequester and how to grow carbon negative food and recognizing the impacts that my farm has on my community, the environment, the local economy. And I, I don't know that if you buy something at a grocery store that it's, it's the same experience. I think it also is nice to know how much hard work went into growing the food you eat. And I don't get that experience when I buy, you know, tomatoes at Walmart, for instance. But if I get a CSA from you, I know that you... Not that I mean to complain. Hard, I know a little bit. <laughs> I'm so tired. No, not at all. 
<laughs> no, it's just different. It's, it has a personal feel. It's almost like the food is grown by a friend and that, that makes it so much more special and it tastes better and it's just a better experience overall. So everyone needs to support their local farmer. And if anyone is listening here in there in the central Pennsylvania region, Ethan, can you tell everybody how they can enjoy your food? What's your, your info and everything? Yeah, so we have a webpage, uh, strongrootsorganicfarm.com, uh, and then that kind of gives you a deeper dive into the farm in terms of, you know, how we grow, what we grow. Um, there's a if anyone's interested in doing a CSA, we still have a few slots left. They could sign up for a CSA. We sell to a bunch of restaurants. Um, I'm hoping to branch out to the Harrisburg Pittsburgh area this year. Um, that's still up in the air. Uh, but generally speaking, on the webpage, they wanted to look, you know, check out the farm. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and um, there's a contact page on the webpage where people could send me an email or give me a phone call, whatever they'd like to do. And um, it's a lot of fun to like just be so connected with you know the people that you're growing for. It really is a lot of a lot of fun. I really like it. So I appreciate all everyone. I really do. Thank you in particular. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.